We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Malex and me and Charlotte spoke to uh, four of the region's best journalists live at the Stand Comedy Club in the heart of Newcastle up on Tyne on Thursday the 4th of August and we talked about the season to come, how good it's going to be, how we're going to beat fucking everyone. It's going to be great. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show coming up. The audio is from... Uh, our chat at the stand. If you would like to hear more, if you would like to hear the second part of the show, which is a Q&A with the lads, uh, join us on Patreon, £8 a month now. Yes, price has gone up, £8 a month for that and loads more. Newcastle United podcast, I can't wait for the season. We're going to smash Forest. Surely there is no other possible outcome. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks very much for listening to the True Faith podcast. We massively appreciate it. Goodbye to do our True Faith podcast season preview. The season finally starts again on Saturday. Everybody really excited? Yeah, kind of. Tonight we have Alex Hurst of the True Faith podcast. We have Craig Hope of the Daily Mail. A bit more, okay. We have George Culkin of The Athletic. Not that buzzed for tonight. Mark Douglas of the Eye Paper. Oh, okay, love that. And Keith Downey of Sky Sports News. Oh, there we go. That was, that was why I sat here. You paid everybody for that. <laughs> um, a little bit of housekeeping. Phones on silent or off. I don't think you get much signal down here anyway, so that works for us. Try to keep heckling to a non-existent. That would be great. Um, there is an opportunity in the second half of the show to do a Q&A, so I'll try and get to as many of you as I can with that. Uh, so there is an opportunity to ask our panel questions and um, try not to smash glasses. Last time we had a lot of maybe Greek people in here smashing a lot of glasses. Less of that this time. <laughs> oh, they've come back. That's nice. Um, all right, with, without further ado, I will hand you over to the panel for the True Faith live podcast season preview. It is the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, joined by Craig Hope, George Culkin, Mark Douglas, and Keith Downey. Lads, the new season is here. I'm buzzing. What we're going to do today is give the lads a chance to give some opening statements for the season. Craig, I'm going to start with you. You're on me left. Tell the good people in this room and the people listening what is going to happen to Newcastle United this season. 
I mean, first of all, I'll just start by saying thank you for coming. The last time we were here a couple of months ago, it was a, it was a brilliant night. I think you'll all agree, and I hope we'll have the same again tonight. Uh, I've actually used tonight as a, as a, a hook for a piece in the, in the Daily Mail on, on Saturday. So uh, I was talking about us down in London, and they couldn't believe that we'd, we'd sold out a venue, especially when they saw the lineup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I just think it's a, it, it's a perfect opportunity to capture tonight uh, for me you know, the, the mood, the optimism, get a, a, a gauge on expectation as well. So this will be in the, in the Daily Mail on Saturday. Now, I have told my desk we've sold out the arena, uh, <laughs> not, not the stand. So if, you, if you're reading the Daily Mail on Saturday, you know, please, please just go with it. Uh, and I, I have got a little bit, before we start, I have got a little bit of a dilemma tonight. Now, uh, George tweeted me today saying, you know, every time you mention Steve Proust, there's going to be a, a five-pound fine. LAUGHTER uh, I've got a friend in the audience who said, come on, Craig, it's time to move on now. No Steve Bruce stories. And I've got Cy Campbell from True Faith who said he's paid his £15 to only hear stories about Steve Bruce. <laughs> so I don't quite know what to do with that. I did, see him, I did see him on Saturday for the first time since everything happened at Newcastle. I was... Uh, yeah, 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 here we go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was down at Middlesbrough covering the, the West Brom game and he was sat from, from me to where uh, Emil is there in the press conference afterwards. And I started asking the question... And he started staring at me, you know, with those like really angry, hungry eyes. And like, you, you know how the bacon butties feel when he's in the mood. Like, it's just that, <laughs> it was that really ravenous look on his face. And he, I asked a question and he gave me, as petulant as he is, a really little clip dancer. Uh, and the press officer immediately called time on the press conference and they got up and left. Now, on reflection... Me and him are getting on, you know, compared to what's gone before. You know, that, 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 we're on a good foot now, so I probably shouldn't give him a kick in tonight, but, but I will. Uh, what was the question? I was about to say, Craig, I am fascinated to find out how this links to Newcastle United season 22-23, mate. Uh, yeah, listen, it, it, the fact we're all here now, we were just sat there before and we're saying... You only have had this sort of crowd in recent years for the wrong reasons, for the perverse reasons, to sit here and listen to how bad it was, to hear us guys give you the inside track on how shit it was with Mike Ashley, how bad the managers were. For once, we're, we're not here to do that. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say everything's wonderful because I have got one or two little caveats and one or two little concerns going into the season, and I will share them with you through the course of the night. But on the whole... They've got a brilliant manager. They've got owners who want to be the best they can possibly be. They've got owners who are trying to be the, the best they can possibly be, unlike the, the, the last custodians. And they've got some wonderful players. Uh, you know, you're going into a season with Bruno Gomares. I've just spent a week out in Austria on holiday. Sorry, working. Uh, <laughs> with uh, cov covering the team. And to be, right, to, to be sat here in the football pitches there, it's such close proximity to Bruno Gomares. Wow. The guy is just playing a different game, he really is. And that, for me, raises the bar in terms of what Newcastle have got to do this season to keep players like him happy. Because, honestly, he will be off somewhere else. And I don't mean to be pessimistic, but he is just that good. And Newcastle are lucky to have him. So, to, 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 to quickly sort of, yeah, uh, brilliant, optimistic, cannot wait for Saturday. Unbelievable manager. To see him at work in Austria is an elite, elite individual. Players love him. Players buy into him. Uh, yeah, full of optimism. So, yeah, let's have a good night, good season. George Calkin, over to you, mate. That's 50 quid. <laughs> um, that means I've got free reign to tell yet more joking ear stories, and so uh, a bit later. Um, I don't want to say something distasteful, but I'd, can you all see this backdrop behind us? Apparently, this was up last time that we did this. 
And I think that gives a fair reflection of certainly how I've felt for the previous 14 years coming into, a, coming into the start of a season. And it's just, it's just the opposite. I've still got this... I'm still at the disbelief stage, I think. Um, just that feeling of optimism, that feeling of kind of lightheadedness to have people at the top of the club spell out an ambition. I did a True Faith podcast not too long ago with Mark. Uh, and Alex, and we were talking about 92, 93. And there are so many comparisons to back then to a takeover happening after a, after a long, drawn-out saga, to the club being threatened by relegation, a club going absolutely nowhere, a new ownership comes in, a new manager comes in, there's new players, there's queues for tickets, and there's that, you know, if you go back to 92, 93, those who are around, to have at the end of that Kevin Keegan say tell Alex Ferguson we're coming after him. There is, that, there is that connection now to the ownership saying within a time frame, we want to compete for the title, we want to compete for the Champions League. Craig said absolutely rightly last time that this bit in some ways is the best bit. Now I'm desperate to see Newcastle win something. I've seen absolutely everything else when it comes to, to Newcastle. I've seen them in the Champions League, I've seen them finish second, I've seen them in cup finals, I've seen them go down, I've seen them you know, almost go out of business and all the rest of it. The one thing I haven't done is see them win something. And, I, I, you know, I, I can't get my head around that sort of thought and what that would feel like. But this bit, where there's no judgment at the moment, just that feeling of buzz and uplift and desperation to be back in the stadium is just wonderful. And I want it... If you could bottle this feeling that I've got now, I would, I would love that. And there won't be a better atmosphere... Um, anywhere in the country, anywhere in Europe, and I'm not just saying that, um, but you know, if you think back to Arsenal in May, that was that was the team playing like the stadium sounded, and I want more of that. And you know, Forest will be sensational on Saturday, and I just can't, I just can't wait. Is it on? Is it on? It's an early. Uh, Why don't you use George's for this one? Is that okay? Yeah. Cheers, George. Oh, there we go. Um, right. So I, w I was kind of thinking back to you know I've done 14 years at Newcastle uh, doing doing seasons now. I was trying to think back to the last time there was any ounce of optimism on the on the start at the start of a season. And okay, you can go back to Rafa. And I was thinking about a moment uh, before Rafa when Steve McLaren was manager and they'd signed those. Decent players. And I was kind of thinking, right, well, wh why do we have all that optimism that season? Because I do remember thinking they were going to do okay. And, and I remember thinking, one of the things that somebody at Newcastle said to me was, he's got tea and biscuits back in the press room. And that was genuinely a fucking reason for optimism, that's a, that, that close season. And it's just so different this year, isn't it? It's so, so different. And this is the first summer I can remember where I've willed the season to start again. Because before it's been... You know, what, what, are the, what have the themes been before the start of the season? You know, the seasons with Rafa, it was the briefing started in kind of June. You know, it, it's not, I'm not getting what I want. You know, is he going to walk out? You know, you had that. Last summer you had Steve Bruce. Sorry, do I put five pound in, uh, in the swear box as well now? You had Steve Bruce talking about, you know, getting Joe Willock in as a, as, a, as, a massive, as a massive asset. This summer has been totally and utterly different. We, I was just chatting with Sai backstage about, you know, where can Newcastle finish? And we, we, we were sort of saying, you're looking up. 
you're not looking at the bottom three this this summer. You're looking at you're looking up, and you're sort of thinking to yourself, I can't wait to see how they play on Saturday because you know they've got a good manager. You know they've got good players. You know they've added well as well. They've got now they've got two England internationals, a Brazil international. They've got you know probably one of the top European prospects in terms of uh, Sven Botman coming in as well. And, and it's just that, that weird feeling of kind of actually looking forward to the start of the season. For me, that's, that's the big difference this summer is, you know, OK, we've had a bit of frustration in the last four or five weeks about getting in the forward player. And, and I understand, you know, I see on Twitter a few people kind of wondering, you know, what, what, what are we doing here? You know, why aren't we getting the players that we're bidding below? Remember where we've come from? Hamza Chowdhury on fucking loan. <laughs> we couldn't even afford that. You know, this is what we're talking about. You know, coming a 10 million... 10 million shy on James Madison. Yeah, it's not ideal, but it's, you know, we know that they've got money. We know that they're going to go out and sign those players. And we know that this season is going to be one where they can look up. So, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. And, and you can start to look forward to some of the, the positive themes of this season. So owner ambition and fans being on side and great atmospheres and hopefully a cup run or two as well. So real optimism this year. And it's the first time in 14 years that I've been covering them here that I can remember that. It's um it's my sister's fortieth uh, birthday on Saturday up in Edinburgh, and uh, all the family are going, and uh, I think I'm gonna have to give it a miss. <laughs> I just uh, <coughs> honestly though, like I've had one of these summers where I was uh, I was covering the Open um, up in St Andrews, and then I got the call to say, can you go over on Austria on holiday with Craig to uh, sorry <laughs> uh, on the training camp? I tried to get out of it, couldn't get out of it, missed that. I was over covering Rangers in the Europa League final back in May. Uh, when the Arsenal game took place, missed that. It sounded like an unbelievable occasion. and I, I feel like I've missed a few of those things the last couple of months. So sadly, um, if she doesn't know already, um, I'm missing her birthday on, on Saturday <laughs> today. But I th listen, I think it'll be, I think it'll be amazing. Um, I was down in Leeds today uh, covering their press conference with the manager. Um, as I was driving back up the road, I stopped at Weatherby Services. I was approached by two Newcastle fans, looked like in their early 60s. Uh, both with uh, the home strip on and Bruno 39 on the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, where, where are you going, guys? And they're like, oh, we've got a couple of nights out down in Manchester. And I'm like, I've not seen that before. I've been, I've been covering this club working in the North East for nearly nine years now. Um, and I've not seen um, that level of excitement, anticipation. And it just feels like one thing after another. When the takeover happened, everyone couldn't wait until the January transfer window. The January transfer came and went, everyone couldn't wait until the summer in the summer window. Now, obviously, as the guys have alluded to there, it probably hasn't been quite plain sailing. I'm sure we'll get onto that. Now everyone just can't wait until, wait until the start of the season. Then once it starts, everyone's probably going to be desperate for the, cup, uh, the FA Cup because obviously the club want to try and do something and win a trophy. And it just feels like sort of one good thing, one exciting thing after an another at the moment. And I, I kind of, in my, in my years covering the club and being down here, I've not covered it as long as George has, as long as Mark has. Maybe Craig, obviously, used to follow the club as, uh, as a youngster as well. And I just kind of thought that's the way things were here, and because I just hadn't seen what it was like before. I started uh, back in 2013, and it was just getting worse and worse every year. Um, almost left for a new job just before the takeover. So thankfully that happened, giving me a little bit of a spring in my step and just looking forward to every, every week that comes. So... Um, I can't wait for it. Um, I think Saturday will be an unbelievable occasion and let's just hope that Newcastle can get the win and, and start the season off well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Although, on Keith, just to explore the myth, so the night Keith cried on television, do you remember it? He was only crying because I just texted him saying the new owners had put on a free bar at Jasmine Dean House. <laughs> and he was down at St. James's, so that was the reason for the tears. Very true, actually, very true. Brilliant, uh, brilliant set of answers there. I think, I think from my perspective, whatever happens this season, and I'm going to put you all on the spot to tell us exactly what will happen this season, um, you know, the fact that we're going to St. James's Park on Saturday to watch Kieran Trippier, it's it doesn't make sense for this football club, for this fan base. You know, Emil Kraft's a great lad, but he's not Kieran Trippier. Going to watch Kieran Trippier, Bruno Gamarich, Callum Wilson playing, Nick Pope in goal. It's, uh, I, I echo everything you've said. It's exciting, but it's, all, it's also like there's a calmness. I feel calm about the match on Saturday. We'll smash Forrest. I'm not having it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having this Jesse Lingard... You know, the new lads, they've got a lot of confidence behind them. It's like, oh, we got more confidence than smashing Arsenal tuning in the cup final. Don't think so. So I'm really, really excited for it. And it's just going to be the best. It is just going to be the best season ever. I, I have to say, Alex, just going on what you're saying there, I was up at the training ground on uh, Tuesday for the, the Access Open Media Day and all the players were doing their celebrations and all the stuff in front of the green screen. And that is the one word that I took away from it. I just felt there was a real calmness amongst everyone involved and... You know, Dan Ashworth popped in for a bit. Uh, the manager was there, some of his backroom staff, and they just they just didn't feel they didn't feel there's any issues, underlying issues. Everyone just felt like they were reading from the same page. You saw the new players just um, alongside the, the the guys who've been there for a long time, all talking warmly of each other. And I think one of the 
one of the things I've noticed this summer is the guys who've left, you know, the guys who've been there since the championship days, the likes of Isaac Hayden, Dwight Gale, Kieran Clark, they've all left. I mean, they weren't quoted towards the end of last season, some of them not even in the, in the Premier League squad. They've not had one bad word to say about anyone who's there right now. And I think that tells you everything about the, the current setup at the club. That, that, I was going to say that calm that calmness is is kind of part of what I feel as well is you know yes incredible anticipation and excitement but when I look back for the last decade and more you know the the adjectives I, I would use and the emotions I would describe would be irritation at this point in the season irritation anger apathy combinations of all the above concern I would look through the fixtures when they come out and think well we'll lose that we'll lose that we'll lose that then we're in trouble and you just knew how the season was going to go. And even, you know, even sort of slightly more positive than that, even if you thought things might be all right, you knew that there was no point to it because the club weren't really trying. So it's like, okay, the squad's okay, or Rafa's manager or whatever, but nothing, there's going to be no point to it. You know, there's no point to this football club apart from the fact that it exists and it's part of our heritage. And I do feel this great... Zen like I can't believe I'm saying this, I really can't, because I'm so used to being miserable that <laughs> that that I feel okay whatever happens to the rest of the transfer window, that the club will be better in twelve months' time than it is now. Mm. And although all of this stuff has taken a while, post takeover, you know, when whatever we are, nine months on, uh, ten months on, they've got a really serious manager in charge. They've got a really serious sporting director. They've got, you know, we don't know much about the CEO, but you know, great reputation. They've got serious players. They've got substantive players um, who've all bought into the to the to the ethos of the squad that was there before and was very valuable through through difficult moments. And it just gives me this great feeling of security mm -hmm. that things actually will be okay, and that in twelve months' time things will be better than they are now. And I think a lot of it comes back to the absolute trust everyone has in in Eddie Howe. Uh, you know, that, that speaks to so much. Because if I'm being honest, if I look at what they've got on paper in terms of in the four areas, I still think the light, I still think there's cause for, for concern there, especially if Callum Wilson is, uh, is injured. But everything just comes back to Eddie. And listen, Eddie Howe took a team with Chris Wood as centre forward and put them in the top four of the Premier League from January onwards, you know. So this guy really can work fucking miracles. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 there is still work that to be done. And just, just watching Eddie when we were out in, in Austria and we were privileged enough to go in and, and, and watch training and just the level of intensity. I mean, we were, we were sweating just watching one of the early sessions he put on. And after about a minute and a half, Eddie, Eddie sort of called time on it and I thought he was going to pat everyone in the back in front of the press and say, you know, well done, guys, this is the level we're at. And, you know, to, to borrow Eddie's language, he said to one of the teams, you know, you guys will get fuck all with that intensity if you're not together, if you're not united. He turned on Chris Wood, he turned on Joe Linton, he turned on Kieran Tripp, he had Dan Byrne, and he said, you lot, get your heads together now, and we want to see something better. And we were stood there on the side, and like I said, we, we were out of breath just watching them. We thought it was off the charts, but it wasn't good enough for him. Uh, and the response was, was incredible, and these guys turned around this really innovative pr uh, possession drill, and it was just so, in the, the word I use is it was so impressive, it was elite. And I spoke to Sven Botman, which is in today's newspaper. I spoke to him in the, uh, the team hotel afterwards. Uh, and he said, you know, I was coming to England and I knew the, the, the intensity of the matches was going to be different to France. He said, but training, really? Come on. Like, it, it, it's off the charts, it really is. And that all comes back to Eddie and his coaching staff. And I think they've hit massively lucky. Listen, they appointed him. They deserve a lot of credit. But I think Eddie Howe is a better manager 
and everything around him is better than we ever thought it would be. And the players have absolute trust in them. Jamal Lascelles and Sean Longstaff have used phrases like, he's changed my life. You know, that, that is strong. And uh, even though I've got one or two concerns about the depth of the squad in certain areas, I just, I just think the manager is incredible. I, really, I think he's the next great British manager. I think, I think something else that, that's, that's worth mentioning, it's, it's not particularly kind of headline-grabbing, is the amount of people that have been appointed at the football club behind the scenes as well. Into some quite, you know, they're not the sexiest jobs, you know, you're kind of assistant loan manager, bolstering scouting networks around the northeast, you're kind of marketing managers. And it's only when you realise how much money and how much time has been spent recruiting those people, you realise how hollowed out the football club was under Mike Ashley. We're talking about, you know, you, 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 some, some clubs in the championship had double the amount of staff, media staff that Newcastle had. They had double the amount of capacity for loans, for example. I mean, we all talk about Elliot Anderson, and we're all looking forward to I'm sure we'll, we'll mention, talk about Elliot Anderson. If you speak to the people involved with the Elliot Anderson loan, that came down to Shola Amiobi ringing up Joey Barton and pulling a favour in. Joey Barton didn't know, didn't know the first thing about Elliot Anderson. It was kind of like... Our wives know each other really well. Look, can, can, will you take him? And it ended up being really good. That is not how a Premier League football club should work. You see Liverpool. You see Liverpool have a loans department that has a medical, um, a medical person who, who is only involved in analysing the effort and the intensity that those loan players have. And you wonder why their players come back and are excellent after loans and Newcastle's players have been coming back after loans and have made no progress whatsoever. These people involved understand that, they know that. And, and for me, like the, the signings and those things are, are great and, and Craig absolutely brilliant on Eddie Howe, but don't lose sight of the fact that there are things going on behind the scenes at this football club that are taking it from the era that it was in into 2022 and hopefully beyond as well. They are updating everything involved in this football club. There'll be a training ground upgrade and a, a new training ground soon enough but they are laying the foundations. And I think that's a really important thing this summer. You know, it's not just in football, it's in, com it's in commercial stuff, it's in kind of HR, it's in the media department as well. And, and, and for me, those, those are important things as well because those were the things I felt that when they used to turn around to us and say, well, what are you complaining about? We've got, we've got a training ground that's adequate. We've got, you know, we stay in the Premier League. You know, we, we, we sign players, but they didn't understand that in order to prosper, you need to do things right off the field as well. And I think that's what we've seen this summer. And uh, to follow up on what you've said there, Mark, me and Thomas, who sat over there on the left from the Supporters Trust, we were lucky enough to spend a little bit of time with Amanda Stavely and Murdad Gadusi back in April before the Wolves game. And the meeting that we had with them, there was kind of one thing which we all took from it, which everyone got behind in the meeting. Uh, myself and Thomas and our trust colleagues and the guys from Newcastle United, and that was in terms of fan engagement and fan relationship, the absolute plan is to be better than everyone else, not to be as good as, I don't know, Spurs or, or those teams in the past when Newcastle fans used to say, can we be as good as Southampton, can we be as good as Swansea and all this shite. What, what we agreed was that we were going to be better than Man City, we were going to be better than Liverpool, and that's I honestly tell everyone here, it probably doesn't surprise you, that is their attitude to everything across the club, and that's certainly what they told me and Thomas. These guys aren't here to be as good as these guys. We're going to be better. So when I hear people talk about ambitions for the club and what's going to happen in the next few years, and financial fair play and all this 
stuff that as fans is new to us to, to worry about financial fair play, how much money can we actually spend? <laughs> this is just the start. I'm absolutely convinced of it. This is just the start of it. We're going to talk now, probably right now, about what the ceiling is for Newcastle United ne- uh, this season. But the exciting thing isn't this season, even though I can't wait for Forest. The exciting thing is next season and the season after. That's, like George said, that's the fantastic thing. These guys will get to the end of this season and think, right, that was fucking class, hopefully. But what could we do better? What did we not do well? And that, that's how a proper football club should run itself. That's how it used to be at Newcastle United a long time ago. And I'm absolutely convinced, and maybe I've been taken in by some millionaires who, who are very good at putting on a, a spread for, for us you know, supporters from the Supporters Trust, but these guys are here to win the league. These guys are here to, champ- to win the Champions League. Bruno Gomarej is here to play in the Champions League, and it's going to happen in Newcastle United. So we all need to be prepared for that. And that's why this season, I'm not saying like, you know what, like 10th place, get in. It's nice not to be in a relegation battle. I honestly think that that squad think they are good enough, maybe not to finish in the top six, but to be a top 10 Premier League club and push those clubs above us, like we pushed Arsenal at St. James's Park in January, like we pushed all, pretty much the rest of the Premier League from January onwards. So my question, the first actual question I'm going to ask, lads, yes. half an hour in, um, is where do you think Newcastle United will finish this season and why? Craig, I'll start with you first, mate. Well, just on what you touched on there in terms of the nature of conversations changing, well, once over in the press box, I would, George sits four or five along from me, you know, you'd shout over and say, how's Burnley getting on? Whereas now it's going to be, oh, shit, City have scored. You know, it's just, it's just that change of, 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 of who you're actually... Com- <laughs> who, who you're actually competing against. And what can they do this season? Well, I think, that, I think the top two are, are, are... Even though Newcastle from January onwards were fourth in terms of the, the form they produced... Third. Uh, Third on points third. per game. On points per game, though. Points third. per game. Okay, fourth or all points. Okay, third, third or fourth. I, I think there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of factors helping that. You know, Eddie Howe was every player was performing way above w- where they are. There was the threat of relegation. There was the absolute special atmosphere in the season. You know, they, they were performing beyond. There's got to be a little bit of regression with that to 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 a degree. Uh, but I absolutely think, you know, they won't challenge the top two. Y- you've got probably uh, Spurs and Arsenal three and four, even though Newcastle schooled Arsenal at the back end of last season. I think if you can put yourself in the conversation with the, the next little group of teams below that, which is going to be who? Villa, West Ham, I'd even put Man United in that as well. Uh, I mean, a word on Man United as well. The fellow who's gone in there, Ten, ten Hag, you know, the, we're journalists, you know how it works. You know, the, the briefings started coming out when Ten Hag came in, you know, everything's changed, you know, everyone's in work for nine o'clock now. Eddie Howe's doing three hours work by nine o'clock. <laughs> you know, the, 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 they're still waiting for the milk and Benton, and he's halfway through his working day. Uh, yeah, sorry, Craig, sorry. You're forgetting one crucial thing. He's got Steve McLaren's number two. Yeah, oh, Jesus Christ. And then on the, on, on the back of that, you know, these briefings come out, you know, everyone at Man United is now working nine till five. I mean, what would Dolly Parton say about that? The song was, you know, it wasn't fucking ten till three, was it, you know? <laughs> They're literally doing just a normal working day at Man United now. It's, uh, yeah, so we, we digress. But, uh, yeah, I, I think put yourself in the conversation with Man United, uh, Aston Villa and West Ham, who are probably going to be the teams five, six and seven. And if Newcastle, I've just done a podcast there before, and I've said I think they, they will finish seventh. And European football is so important in terms of the, the journey that they're on. This, there's an argument, which, you know, 
where they're at, you know, could you probably do without next season, without Thursday night football and the distraction it brings and the knock-on effect? I don't think so. I think European football is so important for, for the players within the club uh, as a statement for future signings next summer, uh, for supporters as well. Listen, for us guys, we'll have European trips as well, don't forget, <laughs> the holidays. Uh, so yeah, for me, I think, uh, I think seventh, uh, I think you're running the Cups as well. I think we'll go deep in one of the Cup competitions. It's always difficult because you know, Liverpool and City are invariably there come the, come the very end of it. But I've got absolute faith in, in Eddie Howe, as, uh, as I said, and I think a top seven tilt is where they, where they should be aiming. Well said. One thing I'd like to put back to you, because I think you know, I'm, I'm with you. I expect us to push the top six. You, know, if you, f you could finish eighth and have a fantastic season, so it's, it's not out of the question to finish sixth, seventh, eighth. One thing I'd like to put to you in terms of you talk about the regression from last season. We were the third best team on points per game since January the 1st without Kieran Trippier, without Callum Wilson. Yeah. They're almost brand new signings to this version of Newcastle United. So I'm, whilst I'm going to ask you lads in a bit about transfers and Keith in particular, probably about James Madison, I do think that the Trippier and Wilson factor will be massive, massive caveat on Wilson if he stays fit. It's huge. George, same question, mate. Um, I suppose... I mean, I answered. We answered the version of this at the end of the at the end of the season, and I'll stick to what I said. I don't want to be, I don't want to be negative, but I, I I don't, I think I don't want to put pressure on them. I think they've earned. I think Eddie Howe has earned the right not to have people saying he should be looking at the top six because of what he did last season and how how good it was. And I think that's, I do think that's unfair actually. Um, I don't want to see regression. I'm sure they've got, you know, I'm sure they've got ferocious internal targets. I mean, they have to, if you look at the timeline that they've mapped out, and that's great. But, you know, what do I want to see? I, want, I don't want to see regression, obviously. I want to see top 10, if possible. I don't want to drop into the bottom three for a single moment. I don't. I'm sick of that. Um, and I want to see players continue to improve, which they've done. I want to see that growth continue. I want to see the club grow. I want to see all of those kind of things. But you know, I, when I talked earlier about that kind of feeling of lightheadedness and that feeling of giddiness, part of that is about not putting targets on them. You know, I think, I think in two seasons' time, if they finish seventh, that may well be a disappointment. But I remember, I, mean, I kind of remember that from the Bobby Robson era in particular, because I, I guess that was the last time we sort of felt it, when Newcastle finished fifth, and it was a disappointment. And there's nothing wrong with that, because if you finish second or if you finish third or if you finish fourth, the next thing should be trying to, to try and finish above that. I'm keen for I'm keen to put that feeling off though. You know, do you know what I mean? I don't want to go into this f season f thinking Newcastle f should finish six, and therefore if they don't, it's a disappointment. I just want this season to be optimistic. So yeah, I agree about the cup run. I'd love that. You know, managers in the past have talked about taking it seriously. There was obviously a run of sorts under Steve Bruce. I want to see Newcastle play. You know, not be worried about relegation, so they can therefore play the strongest available team. You know, albeit mixing it up a little bit properly. Tailored. Have a go at that. Have a go at that because that's what we all want. Um, but I just don't want to feel. I don't want to feel fear and sickness and nausea and anxiety in November, and I'm happy with that. Well, I think. What one thing that, that, that nobody's mentioned yet, which, uh, which, which is kind of worth thinking about, is what a strange season this is going to be. A World Cup in the middle of it, um, you know, 16 games to, uh, at the start of it, a World Cup in the middle of it where, you know, 
things could happen that, that we don't see. Players could get injured. Players could come back kind of broken-hearted if they've, you know, if they've not, you know, they've missed a penalty in a semi-final of the World Cup. You know, that could be a player player out. So, for me, I feel there's an opportunity this season. You know, I feel there's an opportunity for a team that's that that gets it, that understands the opportunity that there is there. You know, so if it's a team that's got the best medical staff, that's got the best medical plan, um, that know that have a good that have a squad that's got the right blend of internationals and non-internationals, which I feel Newcastle does have. Um, it feels to me that there is a huge chance for Newcastle to kind of get into the top eight. It'll depend a lot when they break up for the World Cup where they are then, because I, I could see if they were if they were sort of sixth or seventh, are they going to then go for it in the January transfer window, potentially, because they're obviously holding a little bit of money back now. They're obviously thinking about planning for the next transfer window. So it, I, I think this season's going to be all about which teams cope with that the best. We know the top two are far, far, far away. Spurs are probably, like, like Craig said, you know, Spurs and Arsenal probably three and four. But after that, there's there's all to play for. And if Newcastle get the players in that we hope they're going to get in before the end of this window, they've got a they've got a really good unit there. They've got a good team spirit, and they've got you guys as well, which I think shouldn't be forgotten. You know, how many teams are going into this season where there is just unmitigated positivity, and you know the home crowd are going to be behind them 100%. I don't think there's too many. Probably Liverpool. You talked about Man United. Well, they're talking about protests. Everton talking about protests. Villa, obviously, some, there were some questions about Gerard at the end of last season. So, uh, you know, th- there's a huge opportunity for them here. And I think that's what, that's what for me, is, is, is the key thing here going into this season, is that it's a season unlike any other, and there will be a chance for somebody to surprise it. I'm not saying they're going to do a Leicester, you know, but there's a chance for somebody to, to spring into the top six who maybe we haven't, we haven't seen before, and it could be Newcastle. It all depends how Joe Linton comes back from the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, for me, the, the the issue they've got is, and I spoke to Eddie the other day, and they've they've kind of almost built a rod for their own back by that amazing run uh, after Christmas. And obviously now other clubs are looking at Newcastle and they're thinking they're going to be right up there. I saw Neil Warnock today put on Twitter, I think he had Newcastle and it's maybe top five come the end of the season. <coughs> and that's the problem; they're not really a surprise package anymore. And and that is what you're going to have to be aware of. Um, I have to agree with George. I think don't put any pressure on it. <coughs> Excuse me. I I just think as long as for me seeing the supporters go to a match on a Saturday or whenever it is with a smile on their face, excited for the the weekend to come around, that's the first step. I got in a taxi here tonight. Taxi driver, as soon as I got in, wanted to talk about Newcastle. Said he um, he's trying to get tickets for every single game. Uh, had he's got four phones. Asked him what his other job was. Four phones. <laughs> La- laptop and computer and uh, and he said every every game I've got these open trying to get tickets and I'll pay whatever to get there this is a guy who had a season ticket I think I think you know him Alex actually this is a guy who had a season ticket for years and years gave it up a few years ago under Mike Ashley can't get it back for me now just seeing the excitement on people's faces after the match coming out even at the, at the weekend there after the preseason friendly fans coming up and just like desperate to talk about it again just like loving every minute of being involved in the journey for me that is the what I'm looking forward to more than anything this season. Whether Newcastle finished sixth, seventh, eighth, twelfth, I don't think it's a, a huge thing. I think the, the club is on is on the way up. What I would really like to see, and I, I'm sure the guys, George has alluded to a mark already, would be a cup run. Seeing Newcastle get to a semi-final, get to Wembley. That night when the takeover went through in October last year, and I stood there on the top of that car park looking down and I could see the hundreds or I think it was eventually thousands of fans who'd gathered at the Sir Bobby Robson statue celebrating. 
it felt to me, having covered football in Scotland for a long time, it felt to me like a team that had won a trophy, had won a cup. And, and for me, I'd love to witness that again. I'd love to report on it again and, and see that. So I, I don't think any too much pressure should be put on the, the league result. I think there's issues over certain parts of the team, which the guys have mentioned already. I mean, obviously, if, if Callum Wilson gets an injury, that makes things a little bit more difficult. Um, but I, ju I just feel, looking ahead to this season, take the pressure off, see what happens. And obviously, Eddie's been asked that question a couple of times. Asked him on Tuesday. I think the guys asked him out in Austria as well. And he's, he's at pains not to answer the question because he doesn't want to put any more pressure on himself that he has done with that terrific run towards the end of the season. So let's just see what happens. The, the top teams are getting stronger. We see Haaland coming in at City. We see Arsenal getting stronger. I know Chelsea have lost their two centre-backs, but they're making signings now as well in the, last, in the last week or two. Spurs as well. It's going to be really, really difficult. So get yourself in the mix. See what happens. Win yourself a trophy. Uh, let's talk about Eddie Howe then. Um, you know, you, you've all spoke to him uh, recently. I think the club did the opening, the open day. Uh, recently, Keith and Craig, you were in Austria. Can you give us a little bit? If I start with you, Craig, can you give us a little bit of a, a window into Eddie Howe and how he's been since the end of last season? Because not loads has been talked about last season yet. There's quite a short break between this season and last. Mm. There's the World Cup coming up, and that's the reason for it. But what did what Eddie Howe achieved last season was it was a miracle. It was miraculous. I don't think any support or any pundits saw it coming. Have you noticed a difference in him at all? Is he the same guy as he was from when he walked through the door? How has the job affected him, Craig? Well, we sat down in Austria and he, he was very relaxed. I mean, we did push him. You know, we said, where, where are you going to finish this season? And he wouldn't, he wouldn't give an answer. You know, he said, you're not getting a position from me. But I did say to him, I said, well, I'll phrase it another way then. I said, Bruno Gomares and Sven Botman aren't here to finish 10th. And he said, well, okay, he said, I don't want players who want to finish in a part of the table that I don't want to finish in either. So by that, we took from that, you know, top 10 is the absolute minimum for Eddie Howe this season. He said, we want to have a cup run. We absolutely want to do well in the Cups. He said, saying that, we did last year, and look what happened against Cambridge. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's good. He, we asked him what, how he spent his summer. He drove, he had two weeks uh, in California, uh, hired a car, his wife and three little boys. Uh, driving up and down, going to the different parks. Uh, and he said, you know, half the time, he said it was a fucking nightmare. He said, we've got three kids in the back screaming, and a man on speakerphone trying to do transfers. So, uh, <laughs> but he, he, he's good. He's, you know, he's, he's genuine. Uh, he's, he's, he's honest. He's hardworking. He's a very likable guy. He's absolutely dedicated to, to, to what he does. And as I touched on earlier, you know, Newcastle couldn't have, got a, couldn't have got a better manager. I really do love him and, and, and trust in him. You know, I, I, I'd go that far and is a, someone who has fallen out with the succession of managers. I haven't liked many. Uh, I do 100% give my, give my back into this guy. Yeah, I really do. Same question, Craig. Can I just add, uh, Craig's mum and dad are here tonight, so I think he should stop swearing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're just here as bouncers in case Steve Roos turns up. I'm not too sure. <laughs> just to let you know they are here. Yeah, so Keith, how, how have you found Eddie Howe this summer in your dealings with him? I mean, I obviously missed the trip to Austria, so um, didn't see him, see him then. It's funny, just listen to what Craig was saying there. Think back to that Cambridge match. I can remember sitting doing the, the press conference afterwards, and it, felt like, it actually felt like there was a bit of pressure on him at that time. But honestly, thinking back, it's ridiculous now thinking that. Um, and I remember speaking to a, a few people close to him um, at the time, and obviously he talked about moving the family here in, in January and putting down roots. 
And I think he decided to put it off for a little bit because obviously they were unsure because things weren't going well. And then suddenly after that Cambridge win, club went on an amazing run and we all know what happened towards the end of the season. So I think he's just evolved as a team has um, throughout the second part of the season. I have to be totally honest, wh when he got the job, it, it felt like I wasn't sure if it was the right the right man to come in. But I have to say, he's he's completely made me eat my words and completely changed my thinking. Um, and wh what I like about him as well is he gets to know everyone, comes into the, um, on Tuesday, comes into the open media access and every journalist who's there, every cameraman, he comes over, shakes their hand, knows their name and just... You know, he's just a real person. He's a, he's a real human being. Whereas I think a lot of these guys, managers at clubs, just want to get that bit done and out of the way. But he wants to come in and put put his message across there and make sure that everyone knows whoever it is, whether it's the cameraman sitting there uh, filming. He just wants to make sure everyone knows one what kind of person he is and two what the message is. And I think that comes across in in the city and and everyone who talks about him or um, or, or thinks about him. So I I think he has. As the season goes on, he's he's evolved. I think um, he will... <laughs> it's difficult to tell because until he gets fully his squad, uh, you know, and it's really difficult to tell, but I think with the players he's signed and you look at those who are in the likes of Botman he wanted, the likes of Bruno he wanted, he's just bit by bit putting it together. And I think for those people who kind of questioned him after he left Bournemouth, and then obviously there's a couple of people who said, you know, he was the guy who took Bournemouth down, I think that probably affected... Not, not affected him, but affected people's thinking of him. Um, I think what he's done is, is answered all those questions and I, I just think that I'm really looking forward to seeing how he um, gets on this season and I, and I just think he's um, I just think he's got the world at his feet. As Craig says, I think he's going to be a, an English manager. How people thought of five or six years ago when he was, n people were saying he's going to be the next England manager. I think that is, he's getting himself back up to that, that standing again. But what the <coughs> The exact phrase was, the fella who took Bournemouth down. <laughs> Spoken by the fella who took West Brom into mid-table. <laughs> we're, we're just putting Steve Bruce into his mouth again. I, know, yeah. I, I never That's said the words. Did I say the words? We're, st we're still at 50 quid. Still at 50 quid. <laughs> you know, George, I've, I've read some of your stuff and, and Chris's stuff in The Athletic, and, and it's very much a, a cultural revolution, isn't it, Newcastle United? Can you tell the people here what Eddie Howe has done off the pitch, which has made such a big difference at Newcastle? Well, in terms of cultural revolution, I'll call you out on something. It's time to stop thinking about Newcastle and avoiding relegation as a miracle. You know, a miracle is... Yeah, but it was a miracle, wasn't no, it? No, 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 no. I know what you're saying, but it's, 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 we shouldn't be using that word anymore. You know, it was a miracle for Kevin Keegan to take Newcastle from the bottom of the championship to the top and then to go to the top of the Premier League. That was a miracle in Newcastle terms. I hate that word. It's... It's the word that Sunderland use season after season after season about <laughs> about about staying about no they used it about staying up and then losing again and being shit the next season and because the Premier League has become you know has become the be all and end all for clubs and money has become the be all and end all for clubs we've allowed that to slip into our language Newcastle's form I agree was miraculous but we mustn't think of that as a miracle let's make Newcastle's next miracle winning something. Um, no, the thing I love, the thing I love about Eddie Howe is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the fact that he's unlovable. It's not that. It's the, it's the geekiness about him. I mean, it is the absolute nerdiness and the and the detailed nature about him. It's difficult to make jokes about that because that's what he is. And it's the attention to detail that that um, that he has, which Newcastle 
have been crying out for at every level of the club, not just the, not just the coaching side. But, you know, that is, that is the biggest contrast to what's come before. You know, I would absolutely 100% accept that. And um, it's just his seriousness. And um, I think it was you, you, Keith, that said that the people who've left, I mean, I know Isaac Hayden, and, um, and I was very sad that he left, um, but he hasn't got a bad word to say about Eddie Howe, even though he was left out of the squad. I mean, that's astonishing. Um, because he was honest with him, he told him the truth, um, and that's what players—that's what players want. So he does that, you know. He does that sort of day in, day out. But that's the thing. That's the, you know that is the thing that I admire about him most, and that I respect about him most. He used the words "I'm all in" when he arrived, and that's what he's been, and it's all in on detail. Mm. And I think that's amazing. I, I actually think, George, it would have been difficult to shift some of these guys. The likes of Kieran Clark, Dwight Gale, who were on lengthy contracts. I think Gale still had two years to go with on the money that they're on. I think it would be difficult to shift these guys under a different manager. But I actually think these guys were more than more than happy to go because they want to pay back to Eddie Howe, who they think's been great with with them. And 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 that's that's I think a mark from the fact these guys have been happy to. I mean, Dwight Gale could have played sat around for two more years at Newcastle. He's got a fa- young family up here, earning big money. He could be more than happy to do that. But he's done it because. I think he's got to a stage where it doesn't really matter to him how many goals he's scoring or how many games he's playing. It's all about providing for his family, but I think a lot of it is for Eddie Howe as well to allow him to try and form his team and shape, it, shape his squad. And I think that's part. That's one of the main things. Managers always say that you judge the health of your squad by the people who aren't in a team, don't they? Because they're in some ways they're the most important people, keeping them happy. And he he has managed not that not that Kieran Clark and Isaac Hayden were happy to be out of the squad. Of course they weren't, but. They also recognise that what he did and what the club have done is build on what they've built um, since since promotion. And you know, to talk about that as a building job is difficult because it's been such a struggle. But there has always been that group of good, honest professionals within the dressing room, and they've been treated the same way. They've been allowed to leave with respect. And I just think, I mean, you know, the the more time goes on, the more emotionally connected I feel to those players because. Newcastle couldn't be where they are now without those players, and it's been a, it's been rank, it's been awful, it's been awful watching them for a, for a lot of the time. But it is that ethos that's kept Newcastle where they are, and they're building on it, not destroying it. And I think that is the mark of Eddie Howe as a human being that he's kept people on side. That in different circumstances, it would be very easy to see that all falling apart. Um. When he first came in, just to give you one little very quick story, the very first week Eddie wa- was at the club, he got everyone together in the, in the meeting room at, at the training ground, and he laid his life on the line for them. He told them his life story from, from start to finish, including losing his mother quite suddenly at a, at a relatively young age as well. And the players walked out of that meeting and just thought, wow, if you're prepared to give that to me, I'm going to run through a brick wall for you. And he just put everything on the line. And ever since then, he's had 100% buy-in from the players. Listen, there's more than that. That's what he does on the training pitch. But I just think that personal connection he established with them so soon, there's just a little insight into the man who is, who is manager of your football club, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, like these guys have sort of told you uh, pretty much A, a to Z of, of Eddie Howe. But I think one of the things that, that, that I really like about him, and one of the things that I kind of like about this whole... Newcastle project so far, and I hate the word project, but it, it is a project, let's be honest, 
is that it's not been this kind of mad celebrity sort of crazy players coming in who you weren't sure how they were going to do. And, and we all got excited because they, they go and try and sign, you know, um, Usman Dembele or Neymar or these kind of mad, mad sort of signings, which would, would kind of give us this short-term adrenaline shot, but probably wouldn't be good for the football club. What I've really liked about this summer is the way that this feels very methodical. It feels like Newcastle are building something that in five to ten years' time is going gonna, is gonna to be really, really substantial. And Eddie Howe is absolutely at the, at the centre of that. The way that he um, has recruited players at the start of in January was he recruited individuals. He didn't recruit, you know, he obviously tried to recruit good players, but he also wanted the personalities to be right. And that's why you've ended up with Kieran Trippier. That's why you've ended up with Bruno Gamares, who, you know, isn't just a good player. He's also got that, he's got that, like, sort of, sort of cheekiness about him as well as a personality when you see him, you know, everybody likes him. Those kind of players that he signed are to make the group better, but also to make the, to make the, 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 the core of the team uh, exactly what he wants. So he's at the centre of that. And I think we all made the mistake at the start of it of, of saying, look, they'll get Eddie Howe and then they'll get to the next level and they'll probably try and get this elite level manager. Actually, I think we've all sort of seen enough now to say Eddie Howe can probably take them to that next step. They don't need, a, they don't need a, a sort of Jose Mourinho or a kind of somebody like that. And we all thought, you know, maybe he's keeping the seat warm for, for Jose at some point because we all thought that's, that's going to happen or a Rafa or somebody like that. Actually, I think Eddie Howe can take them to that next level. But he's on board with where they are now. And I think he can grow and mature as a manager to be that kind of Champions League manager as well. So that's what I like the most about him is I feel like he's massively outstripped the expectations I had of him. It was, uh, I was listening to a, a rival podcast today, Alex, sorry, and uh, they were talking about potentially, you know, if it doesn't go well for Newcastle this season, Mauricio Pochettino coming in and replacing Eddie, and it just made me sad. Like, it made me sad. Name them. Thought, uh, it, it just made, you know, the, the fact that it, it, it might not go so well for... <laughs> it might not go so Come well on. For, for Eddie, but, you know... Was it the was athletic? It, was, it, was it me on bottom yeah. of the time? Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't think that will happen. And it was on TalkSport as well, you know... Eddie Howe potentially not seeing the seeing the season out with Newcastle. That won't happen, you know. I can't stress enough how much us guys and probably you as well have, have got faith in him. Just another little quick little story from Austria. So where they were training, uh, Christian Zieger uh, lives overlooking where it trains, and I was stood talking to Jason Tindall. The session was about to start, and Zieger appeared on his balcony. And as Eddie was getting to us, I was like, "Wow, there's Christian Zieger," and Eddie looked at me as if to say, "What the fuck's that got to do with my training session?" <laughs> Just goes back to what George said. Absolute seriousness, absolute focus. And he was coming to drag Jason Tindall away from me to, to concentrate on the little pre, the pre-session meeting. But, yeah, uh, you, you're lucky, we're lucky. What a guy, what a manager. Do you want us to shut up? Yeah. No, no. I'm, I, well, I'm, what I'm really interested in, George, is asking Craig more about Jason Mad Dog Tindall. Because <laughs> he, uh, I was watching the Atalanta game, and there was a group of Atalanta substitutes warning, warming up. And uh, Atlanta had a penalty shot, which was turned down. And I love the fact that Tyndall was still, like, winding them up. He was like, that's not a fucking pen. That's not a fucking pen. Yeah. Like, is he, is, is he like that off the pitch, or is it all an act just to get in the, the ear of the opposition? I think he's the yin to Eddie's yang, isn't he? And Eddie uses him as a little bit of a, a comfort blanket as well. And what a tan. What an absolutely tremendous tan. Uh, I mean, only Keith rivals him now, you know. No. <laughs> Uh, you've actually, uh, you've actually just stolen my thunder there because someone came up to me in the street last week and said, all right, Jason? Yeah, yeah. 
I, well, went, I went Jason who? Orange, he said, no, Tendo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought, true, Faith have done well getting coaching staff on the panel. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, listen, Eddie loves them, Eddie trusts them. Uh, so yeah, who are we to question that? He, listen, he comes across as a little bit of a different character at times and not someone you'd associate with Eddie, but then isn't that what all the best managerial partnerships are built? I'm thinking on, you know, Clough and, Clough and Taylor as well. You know, you, you don't want two of the same. So no, while it's working, who are we to question it? What I was, was going to say was that um, one of the things I'm fascinated by is, is, is how sort of reaching his potential or unleashing his potential. I'm sure he obviously sold Newcastle a vision when he was going through his interview process, but because of the circumstances he faced when he came in, it was match to match to match. It was about three points and another three points and another three points. And sure, by the end of the season, things were great, but that was his life. And then January hit him, and it hit him like a sledgehammer. And if you talk to anybody in the club, you, you know, they'll say that it was the maddest month, arguably, that the club have ever had. And when you think about what's happened in the recent past in the, uh, in the club, the idea of madness is an interesting one. But in terms, of, you know, in terms of that intensity, and how was not able to concentrate on his job, his, his, you know, his, his most important job, coaching players, because he was spending most of his time being the sporting director and making phone calls. And he's got through that and he's he's come through that in, you know, in absolutely brilliant style. And now it's a chance for him to actually show what his Newcastle team might look like. And um, I'm sure it's still been very busy for him this summer, but with the other people around him, it's definitely been less intense. And I'm sure he would like more players too, but but now is a chance for him to actually show what he can do as a manager. And I think that's incredibly exciting. Definitely. Charlotte, how long have we got left? Between five and ten minutes, okay. I would like to ask Keith... I'll Part one, by the way, we are back, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> um, Keith, I'll ask you, James I Madison... Like, I like his suntan, I like his dress sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James Madison, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I think one of the things that has been a bit strange about this one is, is the public nature of it. I think a lot of fans thought when Dan Ashworth came in, you would stop seeing the kind of daily updates on Sky Sports News, the leaks... Can you give us a little bit of insight in your role, wh you know, what covering a transfer like this is like? We're just good journalists, Alex. Don't underestimate us. That's why it's all out there. <laughs> it's funny how uh, in one breath, as a supporter, you're like, right, we want to know about transfers. And in another breath, you're like, we don't want to see that over Sky Sports News. <laughs> um, listen, you've got so many people involved now. I mean, you look at sporting directors, owners of clubs, managers, the players themselves, agents, all of them feeding different information. Um, the, the James Madison one, I mean, that's not, that's not coming from the, the club. That's not like the actual details of it aren't, aren't coming from, from the club. But then at the same time, um, they're not really shooting things down either. So you kind of have to read into every situation and kind of gauge every situation. Um, and each day, you, it's almost like a judgment call on every single transfer. The James Madison one just feels a little bit strange to me because uh, he doesn't he doesn't feel like the the player that the Newcastle need at, at the moment. Um, I, I know towards the end of last season he played he did actually they played a four three three towards the end of the season at Leicester and he played off to the right and I think he did it fairly well. But I think everyone agrees his best position is is normally number ten. So one, I think that's strange in a positional way. Secondly, a financial thing because I, I think we're all of the understanding that Newcastle don't have. 50 million left in the coffers this transfer window and I think it would take that to get Madison so I've got real question marks over why they're getting uh, involved in that I've got a little bit of a feeling that um, you might find shall we say other clubs 
bigger clubs, clubs in the top six, you know, coming to the table and maybe getting involved now that they know Madison's in inverted commas available. There's obviously a lot of politics at, at play in these things. Um, but it's frustrating. I mean, you're just you're basically on your phone the whole time. And I was on I was on a family holiday last week, and it was relatively quiet. It was good. But if something happened, or you heard that they'd agreed a fee with whoever it may be, Madison or whatever, you just have to jump and get on with it. You c you can't really relax. I was in interested. I was I was, uh, I was actually reading Craig's piece with uh, with Eddie from out in uh, out in Austria, and he, I think he was saying that he wasn't able to switch off when he was with the family. His phone's going the whole time, and. Um, the kids are in the back and screaming, but he has to take the call. And I'm thinking that, that's all right if you're earning like five million pound a year, but like no, 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 it's the same for me, and I'm earning like <laughs> four million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much? Um, but it's the same, and you don't you don't want to miss anything. And like back back in the day, when when I started out as a journalist back in the day, um, when I used to work in newspaper newspapers before, you could hold a story till the next day. And you were just like, I hope no one runs it on the six o'clock news. I hope no one's got in the paper in the morning. Now, like, if it's been away for two minutes on Twitter, you're like, you feel like you're late with something. Um, but the, Ma the Madison ones, the Madison one just doesn't doesn't stack up for me. Um, it, it, something do something doesn't doesn't feel right about it. Um, and I, I I just feel that they, I just feel he's not a necessity. I think they need to, they should really be looking to bring a striker in. Whether they, whether they've got someone lined up or whether they're they're going to bring their striker on loan and that's allowing them to bring in or attempt to bring in Madison for for a fee, I, I, I do not know. But I it sounds terrible. I know it's exciting for the fans this time of year. I cannot wait until the transfer window closes because you you're just on tenterhooks the whole time. I mean, if my f I was on, on the way back from from Leeds today and my phone started um, losing battery and my charger wasn't working and I was like, shit, what if I've got five minutes? My phone not working. It's terrible. You question yourself. You're worried about missing things the whole time. So it's not enjoyable, um, but at the same time, it is enjoyable when you are able to break a transfer story and, and you are able to sort of get involved in it and, and, and see the development of a team by bringing in better players. So um, I just don't think Ma I just don't think Madison will happen. I really do. I've got I've got real question marks over whether it will happen. And, and obviously there was a huge question mark over the over the, the price. Um, I know we reported 50 million. Um, that has again that's not come from that's not come from the club. And I think the club were, were, were keen to steer afterwards that they uh, they'd offered significantly less than that. And I think everyone knows that to get James Madison, they're going to have to offer more than 50, and that's not going to happen. That's very interesting. Uh, we have to move on quickly because we're running out of time for part one. I really want to ask Mark, um, if I could put this one to you. I think a lot of fans are looking at uh, PIF and what they're doing in golf with their Live Golf project, and they're showering it with hundreds of, like hundreds of millions of pounds, soon to be billions probably. Why do you think the same isn't happening at Newcastle? Is it purely and simply financial fair play? I mean, that, that's, that's the top reason, I think. Um, obviously, there's not financial fair play in, in the golf. I think there's a feeling um, amongst the people at Newcastle that it was, it was never going to be that from PIF. It was, they're very, um, it, the way it was put to me last week was they're extremely process driven. So if you put together so I mean for example the Madison thing you know you, the reason that they're not going to the value is because they'll have run that through they might have had to run that through PIF they might have had to if they haven't had to run it through PIF they'll, they know they will have to justify it after the um, after the occasion and, and, and I think it, it's it's a fallacy really in football that, that, that they'd be able to spend the kind of money that they're able to spend in golf there's a there's a whole load of reasons I think why the live golf thing is happening there's you know obviously they, they do have 
free reign. I think there's also the fact that quite a lot of people in the PIF are very, very interested in golf. But also, they know that they have to, they have to get in and disrupt golf. So they have all that money to spend in golf. They're trying to establish a new competition. It's very different from what they're trying to do at Newcastle United. Um, what they're trying to do at Newcastle is build something. So the way I've seen it, the way I've been, the way it's been sold to me is that A, it's financial fair play, so they don't have the, the capacity to, to spend that kind of money. B, the, the business plan, I think, was always to build over time. Sustainability was what Can they I said. put something to you, though, in this answer? That all makes sense, and I'm sure everyone in the room is still behind them. But it's one thing to say that, and then another to say you want to win the Premier League within five years. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult to win the Premier League within five years if, as if it's a bit-by-bit process-driven yeah. thing to get five to ten. But even to get ahead of Man City, yeah. and I'm not saying it won't happen. It will. I'm here. I'm like I'm living it. I'm I'm planning me Premier League trophy parade through Grey Street in 2028. 20, yeah. I'm I'm here. But it does <laughs> it does just feel a, a little bit like a lot of fans say, even what you're saying there makes sense. But if you're going to go to Leicester and offer them well below 50 for James Madison in instalments, is it realistic? To I think. But, but what you but what you've got to, what you've got to consider is there's quite a lot of commercial deals that have come baked in from Ashley. You know, yeah. I mean, Castor, for example. You know, oh. what the fuck's going on there? Do you know what I mean? Like, let's be perfectly honest. It's uh, uh, not. Can I, can I give everyone a little bit of a true faith secret in the room? Castore approached us to sponsor the True Faith podcast. All right, lads, we'll do it. You're a shite, but we'll do it if you <laughs> give her the money. And um, agreed a, a fee with them. They just fucked off. Never, never yeah, heard from them since. Do you, know, do you know what? It's an interesting one because last summer, last summer they were all. I, I got the number for for one of the, the guys who runs it, and they were very keen to to chat to us. They were we're going to be fan focused. We're going to do all these events and stuff. <laughs> you know, we're we're going to do this. We're we're going to you know we're going to make every kit launch an, an event on Tyneside. None of it's happened. And that's and for me, it feels a bit like it, maybe it would have happened if Mike Ashley was there. There's you know there's got to be something. Between Mike Ashley and Castor, so they they keep denying it, but it feels to me like there might be something there. It feels to me like that contract is was signed with the intention, and I think there's a few things that Mike Ashley did just before he he sold up a long contract for Steve Bruce, things around Lee Charney's big bonuses. It felt to me as if there was quite a lot of things that Mike Ashley did at the end, where he was like, "Look, you know, there's there's going to be some things here that you know we're going to sign these, and they're going to have benefits for the club short term, but." Long term, they're not so. They've got a lot of those kind of things, you know, and that is where, unfortunately, with financial fair play, that that is where Newcastle are going to be able to build. They've got the shirt sponsor coming up next year. That'll be really interesting to see what happens there. I do agree with you on the Madison thing. It feels a little bit like counterintuitive to to go in at that at that level when they know sixty million is or fifty million is potentially what they what they need. But th the message that came back from me is that there's no change in there's no change in what we want to do. We want to build this club to be a force but it's going to take time. And they were saying, the only way we can do it is by being smarter than our rivals, and that doesn't mean chucking money. That doesn't mean chucking money at it. Look, they're going to they're gonna have to get a striker. They're going to have to get the right forward that they need to get in this, this window. Of course they are. They've got four weeks to do it. They've got fairly limited budgets. Th they're not going to shove $500 million like they, would, like they would with Tiger Woods. It's just not going to happen. But what they're doing with Live Golf is trying to establish a new competition. They're going up against an orthodoxy there, and it seems to me that you know, they're, they're, they're trying to disrupt that world, whereas in football they're trying to work within the parameters that they've got. And, and you know, when we talk about sustainability, it was always the plan. Even back the, the previous summer, it was always the plan to do what they're doing now. Nothing's changed. That's the, big, that's the big fallacy that I see out there when people on Twitter say, what's changed? Are they not interested anymore? No, this was always what they were going to do. Oh, yeah. I will just say one quick... Are we going for the break now? We are. Just one really quick thing before we go to the break. Uh, Keith, Tinder does drain your battery. 
<laughs> wow. I'm getting, I'm getting absolutely doing here today, am I not? <laughs> okay. How would you know, Craig? Aren't you married? <laughs> She'd never have said his woman dad are here, absolutely. Thank you so much to you for Give him a, a big round of applause for that contribution. <laughs> we'll be back. 20 minutes. Get yourselves to the bar, but we'll be back in 20 minutes for part two, which is the Q&A. Cheers. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.